Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The Warriors may have won the NBA Finals, but the Stanley Cup is still up for grabs. Colorado and Tampa are dueling it out for hockey's ultimate prize. BetOnline has you covered with all of the props, odds, parlays, and lines for the rest of hockey's playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is June 23rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. It is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Fun fact, uh, even though 90% of colleges and universities receiving public funding do not comply with Title IX, it is an anniversary of the day we decided women should not be discriminated against at school. And 50 years later, we still kind of believe that. And uh, it's also my birthday. Fun fact. Happy birthday to me. Anyways, we've got a fun show today. It is the return of Gage Bridgeford. It's a gift that I've been waiting for for months. Gage was working as a baseball coach, doing a podcast here with Believe called Believe in Denver Nuggets. He writes for the Denver Stiffs on SB Nation. He records a Packers podcast. Gage is just a friend of the show for a couple of years now. I've enjoyed having him on. He's dove, dove in deep into this podcast space. I'm really glad that he's back. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft and a little bit about free agency, but I'm going to take kind of the free agency spin here a little bit and talk about the same topic that we had our A block on on Tuesday, which is Kyrie Irving and the free agency that now is starting to feel like the spicy, hot NBA summer that I was hoping for back when I was doing one of our weirdest podcasts ever and bemoaning the fact that we had an NBA with parody that has kind of looked the same for about three years now. But Kyrie Irving is now in a situation where he might leave the Brooklyn Nets. We talked about on Tuesday when the, the Shams, or I guess on Monday, the Shams report was released, where it was announced that Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets were, quote, at an impasse and that Kyrie would explore his options in free agency. We then get news on Wednesday from Adrian Wojnarowski that the Lakers are seen as the biggest threat to Kyrie Irving potentially leaving the Brooklyn Nets, which probably means that in the last two days, Kyrie has started engaging in legal tampering. He's looking at the Lakers, looking at LeBron and Anthony Davis, and he's like, that is a 
pretty good situation to find yourself in. And if you are the Lakers, you're just getting the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card on this shit. Like, the Lakers, when they traded Dwight Howard in 2012, and it looked like it was going to derail the franchise a little bit, the Lakers got a get-out-of-jail-free card because they were so bad for so many years that they didn't have to transfer those draft picks to Orlando and later to Philadelphia because they were top three protected. And the Lakers ended up in the top three of the lottery to get Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. And those draft picks ended up getting protected that they traded for Dwight Howard. So the Lakers, who end up getting that get-out-of-jail-free card, then got the get-out-of-jail-free card of we traded all of our draft picks for Anthony Davis because LeBron James decided he wanted to play for our team. We traded five years of a rebuild for Anthony Davis after we got LeBron, and then we won a championship in the bubble, and then we traded for Russell Westbrook. It is a deal that was going to derail the entire process with the Lakers. LeBron James was talking about Sam Presti being the ultimate GM because he had draft picks and made moves, and Rob Palenka being passive-aggressive to Rob Palenka, even though the Lakers kind of had a deal in place to acquire Buddy Heald, and then it got nuked, and LeBron James ended up getting Russell Westbrook to play with him, and it was an absolute dumpster fire of a failure, and everyone got hurt, and the Lakers missed the playoffs, etc., etc., etc. It looked like they were screwed. There was the same report on the same day, and we talked about it on, on Tuesday, that the Lakers offered Indiana Russell Westbrook Talon Horton Tucker and a first round pick for Malcolm Brogdon and the Pacers told them to go pound sand and Indiana was seen as the team to make the move and by the way the Lakers even if they do that they are not better getting Malcolm Brogdon does not fix your problems in making you a good team it just gets the negative of Westbrook off the table if Kyrie Irving chooses to play for your team and you can negotiate a sign and trade where all parties involved get lesser value oh my god that is the ultimate get out of jail free card Kyrie you guys were a sinking ship and Kyrie Irving anti-vax and all just rolls up on his boat and he's like here is your your we're going to patch up this boat real quick you're gonna move two first round picks for Westbrook because that's the thing the Lakers have they're 2025, 2026, 2027, and 2028 first-round draft picks. Because of the rule that says you can't trade draft picks in back-to-back years, the Lakers have... They, the only way they can trade 2025 is with a pick swap. And they can trade 2026 and 2028 to move Westbrook's contract. That would incentivize a team to make that move, especially if it's known that they're going to get Kyrie Irving out of it. They will give up two first-round picks to move Russell Westbrook if it's a guarantee that Kyrie Irving is going to come. Think about the deal that the Clippers made with Oklahoma City. They gave up Shy Gilgis Alexander, four first-round picks, and like two pick swaps because it was a guarantee that Russell Westbrook or that Paul George was going to come with Kawhi Leonard. And if you can guarantee both of those things then you're set in stone. If the Lakers can be guaranteed Kyrie Irving as long as they move Russell Westbrook, and for the people who are talking about a Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving swap, no. Brooklyn is not taking Russell Westbrook. 
as compensation for Kyrie Irving. They, they will blow up that deal and take nothing before they are taking Kyrie Irving in a deal. <laughs> they are not doing that. So if you move Westbrook, attach two first-round picks to his contract and Taylor Horton Tucker and whatever else you can move in a deal, like if they make that move, then the Lakers can secure Kyrie Irving, they will do it. And if you're offering two first-round picks, someone's going to be willing to take Westbrook. Not for one first-round pick, but you can guarantee two first-round picks for a rebuilding team, someone's going to do it. Especially if, you know, maybe they don't have to give up Malcolm Brogdon or they only have to give up Corey Joseph. The Lakers all of a sudden become more desperate to move Westbrook if they have the guarantee of Kyrie Irving and it'll be a three-team sign-and-trade for Kyrie to come to the Lakers. Can you imagine the get-out-of-jail-free card that would be for the Lakers if that happens? You walk away with not just the shitty Westbrook situation, now you get a better point guard and it only cost you two first-round picks to acquire a perennial all-star. And I know Kyrie Irving probably only has like two or three seasons at all-star caliber level left. You know who else is in that camp? LeBron James. You know who else might be in that camp? Anthony Davis. Two years, I mean, technically one year, because LeBron can be a free agent at the end of next season. So one year, ride it out, see what happens. If not, you got Kyrie on the five-year max. You got Anthony Davis on the five-year max. I, I can't believe it's even a possibility that this is going to happen. And yet it looks like Kyrie Irving during the legal tampering period is leading towards possibly going to the Lakers as a way to put pressure on the Brooklyn Nets. And if Brooklyn lets him go to the Lakers and all Brooklyn walks away with out of a sign-in trade is like Malcolm Brogdon or Jonathan Isaac, oh my god, that is an ultimate FU to Kevin Durant, the FU to Sean Marks, and the guys who presumably Kyrie Irving was given the power to basically run the organization when Kyrie Irving, we talked about on Tuesday, checkmated the Brooklyn Nets earlier this season by allowing him to come back during the pandemic and play. And at the end of the year, he has the press conference where he's like, Kevin and Joe Sai, who's the owner, and Sean and I, Sean Marks, are going to get together and figure this out. And he's looking at Kevin Durant, like, where's the protection? And Kevin Durant's like, sorry, dude, it ain't worth it. That's crazy. That's so crazy, and it's it's crazy in the pure basketball sense more than it is the Kyrie Irving everything else that goes on with Kyrie Irving that dominates the conversation around Kyrie Irving. The bailout of the Los Angeles Lakers again is just the most confounding thing in the world, and I know the Lakers are the best NBA organization of the last 40 years, and they've won like 10 championships. How confounding is it? that they would be able to to get this one. The one that seemed totally unbreakable, that they were going to be stuck with Westbrook and they were going to have to go to LeBron and be like, hey, tough shit, we're not trading Westbrook. What do you want to do? They're going to walk away with Kyrie, possibly. Like They're going to walk out of this with Kyrie Irving and Westbrook gone and it only cost two first-round picks. That would be amazing. 
that would be the most amazing. We just bailed ourselves the f out thing. They getting them out of that situation and getting a five year max on Kyrie Irving would just be worth any amount of money you're paying Kyrie Irving. Getting themselves out of this situation and into one where they are immediately one of the best teams in the NBA. Kyrie Irving, you can take any dollar figure. We will pay any luxury tax, whatever you want to call it. Like, maybe it's not good enough to win a championship because the rest of the roster is going to be poorly constructed. Still, just tip your hat to them. If the, if Kyrie Irving enables them to get the get out of jail free card, tip your hat to the Lakers for just bailing themselves out of just an absolutely putrid situation that threatened to tear down the franchise for the next decade tip the cap to you because you can always trade Kyrie Irving later maybe you have to give him a no trade clause in his contract you can always trade Kyrie Irving later you can trade Anthony Davis later not right now you can trade Anthony Davis for value it's amazing how they're about to get out of this situation with Westbrook and it's gonna all work out because the Lakers are just like they, they're just not real. It's just not even a real concept that this is about to work out great in a salary cap sport with that type of terrible decision that they made with Westbrook and how terrible this last season went. That Kyrie's going to bail them out with the ultimate... It's Storytelling-wise, it's just it's unfathomable. It's amazing. So we'll have a week to figure that out. The legal tampering period is still going on. Might be a smokescreen. NBA draft is tonight, so maybe some big move will swing. Listen for Friday's episode, which is going to be our NBA draft show. We're going to record live during the said NBA draft and hopefully have a fun little podcast to produce for you guys. But for now... Let us welcome in, and we're going to talk a little bit about Kyrie, but this was recorded before the news came out this week. We're going to talk with our friend, Gage Bridgeford, for the first time in many, many months, and I'm very, very excited to welcome Gage back on the show. I am exhausted all the time, but other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> no, I get it. I totally get it. it. It's the middle of June. This year has been damaging for everyone. You just finished a baseball season. I get it. It's it, it's a lot. Yeah, no, just constantly worn out, but that is the way it goes. Yes, and you have a new podcast on Believe. How about that? Yeah, uh, Believe in Nuggets just uh, posted episode our 10th episode yesterday. Yeah, it's been that long since you've been here. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we started right before the season ended, and then we, and then um, the off season, we only do one episode a week. So it's 10 episodes, but it's just, it's been 10 weeks basically because we record our first episode before, I think, or game one of the Nuggets series. And then the second episode came out right before like game four or game five, and then it was series was over. (laughs) So I guess we'll just start there. NBA playoffs as a whole. What did you make of the entire NBA playoffs? <laughs> there was too many blowouts. Uh, I liked that the 
the finals was a little closer, but just there seems to be an issue in the NBA where just games become uncompetitive. And this wasn't exclusively a playoff thing. This was all year long. There was just place every single night as a person that bets on basketball a lot you had to look at games and figure out okay is there blowout potential here yes okay if there is blowout potential what is going to cause that just to almost protect yourself and so the nba i think that there was like the playoffs there wasn't a ton of exciting upsets which i mean that's generally the way it's supposed to go right that's the you're supposed to have the teams that are the best teams are the ones that are supposed to win um Ultimately, it just came down to one team was playing their best ball at the right time. And by one team, I mean Steph Curry was playing his best ball at the right time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Steph Curry playing his best ball at the right time and, and Jimmy Butler playing his best ball 55% of the time. Meanwhile, the Boston, the Boston Celtics just had to run a gauntlet of teams while the Warriors got to play the Nuggets without Murray and Porter. And Jokic was at the end of a long season. They got to play the Grizzlies mostly without Jaw, and that. And I don't care about the advanced analytics and say, well, actually, the Grizzlies were better this year than they were without Jaw Morant. I don't. I'm not gonna listen to that. And then in the Western Conference Finals, they played Dallas instead of Phoenix. Yeah, Dallas instead of Phoenix, and Luke. I believe Luca played every game in that series, if I remember correctly. But he also was definitely not 100% after dealing with that injury that he had had uh, in the, I believe it was the second round of the first round. I can't remember for sure. The first round, it was the Utah series, I think. Okay. I couldn't remember for certain when it was. Uh, but, yeah, no. So the Warriors got – they didn't get lucky. They won. Congrats. Hat, hat tip to them. But you had to deal with Brooklyn who, for all of Brooklyn's faults, they still have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and then they had to deal with seven games in Milwaukee without Chris Middleton, and then you had to go in games of Miami, who were content to just beat the absolute hell out of you, even if they were going to lose the game. Mm-hmm. It's like the second time in 25 years that the East is the better conference than the West. And I think the only other time that was the case was like when LeBron first joined Miami, like from 2010 to like 2012, the the East was the better conference. But like other than that, it's usually like, oh, look at all these powerhouses in the West. This year, the West was so weak that it was like, oh, all we have is the children and the Warriors. But we also had Phoenix, but Phoenix threw up all over themselves. And after you took away Phoenix and you took away Denver because they didn't have two of their three or three of their four best players and you take away the Clippers... There's just nothing left in the West. Yeah, no, you're just you're sitting here and like like I said, the Warriors didn't get lucky. The Warriors won, but mm-hmm. they also got a little lucky. Yeah, for sure. They benefited from a weak Western Conference and Phoenix throwing up all over themselves. I still think they probably would have beat Phoenix. It just would have been much more of a series than Dallas because Dallas is like, oh, we're playing with house money. We made it to the conference finals and they were just totally outmatched against Golden State. And that was kind of like the end of that one. But it was still cool that Dallas got there. They were like, ah, shit, Luca carried us to the conference finals. That's pretty cool. And they get to have that, you know, 
their version of Kevin Durant in 2012 with OKC. It was like, Luca's 23 and he's so good that we can just get to the conference finals and all that stuff. Yeah, but like they have right, the yeah, benefit of a star who's going to just constantly get better and they it's all on them to, hey, build around this star while you can before he wises up and leaves. So as long as they build around the, him and yeah. put a competitive team out there, Dallas is going to be a contender for years to come just simply because Luca is that good. Or the very least, the thing I've said about Dallas is, like, build a team around him that's not just volume scorers. Because, like, last year was Hardaway, and Hardaway's a volume scorer type. And this year was Jalen Brunson, who's like, if you get enough shots, you're going to make enough shots to have, you know, you look up one game, Brunson's got 41 points. And another game you look up, he's got nine points. So, like, doing more than just putting volume shooters around him or volume scorers around Luka. If you put, like, a legitimate two-way guard around Luca, I think that would be that would that might even be enough because he's just that good and you know entering his prime and probably going to win at least one MVP here in the next couple of years I mean that's assuming he doesn't just get run into the issue of always being one of the best guys but never the best guy I mean that's just that's just kind of how it goes I mean you're never gonna there's like the voters are eventually going to give you like the okay well now but same time no i mean everyone argues that lebron should have won more mvps in the last decade but then you go Mm -hmm. year by year and it's can you really put him over anybody like you weren't going to put him over kd the year the kd won you weren't putting him over westbrook the year the westbrook averaged the triple double you weren't putting him over harden the year that harden did what he did you weren't putting him over curry either of the two years he won and the two Giannis years now the two Jokic years you just sit here and go year by year and it's yeah, LeBron maybe could have won more. Like the, the only, only one, yeah, the only one is the Derrick Rose, Rose year. Yeah. So, like Luca, could you can make the argument Luca can contend for one, contend for an MVP? But with how much talent is in the league right now, at the same time, we could see Luca go as just one of those guys that just never quite got it. I guess what I'm thinking is like eventually. So like Luca's. I guess what I think of is like the next generation, where like he's not this generation, but he's going to be the next generation superstar. Like once Giannis is no longer like Giannis will still be good, but he won't be playing his best basketball in his 30s, and Embiid won't be playing his best basketball in his 30s, even if they're still really good players. Like once those guys are no longer in their like quote unquote prime then I guess it'll just kind of default to Luca, but it could also go to Tatum. It could go to, I don't know, like John Morant or whoever else is part of this baby generation that everyone was excited about watching in the playoffs this year. I guess I just think like relative to everyone else, Luca's just so good that it's inevitable that he'll be at some point, the best player in the NBA. If not, you know, it might be three, four years from now, but I guess just at some point he'll be the best player in the NBA. Well, that also fat calculates that no one else is coming in. You're at, you're operating on just the guys that are in the league now. Like you're not even yeah. factoring in guys that are going to be in the league in three and four years. Also, you're ignoring a guy figure out how to stay healthy and keep weight off. Zion Williamson is could be that mm-hmm. guy that just that no one can stop, and there's no answer for why do we think that because so far there's not really been an answer for him when he's been healthy. He's just he can do basically whatever he wants, and he's yeah maybe he'll turn maybe twenty two here in a couple. He'll turn twenty two here in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. 
So Luca could there. be a guy that wins one in a few years, but there are plenty of guys that I could also just as easily see being dominant forces in the league and constantly making Luca work and scrap for that MVP award. Because I mean, Durant only has one, right? If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Durant's got and, the one, yeah. And Durant is widely considered by many as one of the greatest players of all time, and he has one MVP. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's it's interesting how that works. Because like, I, I guess the way I organize NBA is like every five years as a generation, because like that's the physical prime of basketball players usually only lasts like five years. So like LeBron basically won the MVP every year, except for the one Derrick Rose year when he should have won it. He should have won five straight MVPs. And then the next generation was like, one year it's KD, one year it's Steph, one year it's Westbrook, one year it's Harden. And there's like all these great players that each get one. I know Steph got two, but it was like everyone got like one MVP because it was like interchanging how great those players were. And then this generation, it's like two for Giannis, two for Jokic maybe one for Embiid, but it's like, we know who the two best players in the sport are. It's Giannis and it's Jokic. And then it's everyone else kind of filters in after that of like, who are the physically best basketball players in the world right now. And in the next generation, maybe it will be like one for Luca, one for jaw, one for Zion, one for, I don't know, Trey young, maybe probably not Trey young, but I'm just kind of throwing out a name in that baby generation. Actually, one for Tatum. Tatum kind of goes in between the two of them because I think Tatum's older than Luca by like a year and a half or something. But yeah, he's he's, he's only twenty four, like, but he is but he is technically older than uh, Luca. Like he's twenty four and one hundred and ten days. Luca is, I believe, twenty three and about a hundred and some days. Uh, I just I just had it up. Yeah, twenty three and one hundred and thirteen days. Oh, so they're basically a year apart. They're yep. a year year apart from each other that's interesting because i think of them as different generations but i think that's because tatum like in 2018 was like already one game away from the finals and like luca wasn't even in the nba yet but i guess i just think of them as different generations but they're basically the same age yeah they're literally just one year apart that's that is the entire difference in in the two of them and it's but they do it also they play in different conferences that's another reason why you don't associate them as much I mean, they are in different conferences and they play different positions. Meanwhile, by Jokic and MB, they play the same position. They're in different conferences, but whenever they do play against each other, they are directly matched up. You will see them throughout the game. Tatum generally isn't going to be guarding Luka and vice versa. Luka is generally not going to be guarding Tatum. So That might you- actually change next year, but you're probably right. You're not going to see them matching up against each other much. I'm assuming that smart and assuming Boston doesn't change, I don't see them putting someone other than Marcus Smart on Luca. Like you might see occasional switches where Tatum ends up on him, but I still see Marcus as the primary there. That's probably true, even though you know Marcus Smart's uh, defensive prowess has gone down after these playoffs. I think people are less in love with Marcus Smart as they were at the start of the playoffs because. You know, it's pretty clear Robert Williams should have won Defensive Player of the Year from watching, you know, 20-whatever playoff games. And I, I guess you're probably right still that if it, 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 push comes to shove, they're taking smart over Tatum and guarding whoever the best player on the perimeter is for the other team. I think that's yeah. probably true. I, I think the, the point about Giannis and Jokic, too, is good because in this, like, generation, all of the best players are, are what Daryl Morey calls, like, super-skilled fives, where it's like, 
Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis, they're all like the same age and all kind of like hitting their peak at the same time. So I think it's easy to quantify that because they're all 6'11 dudes who play like forwards. And that makes it easy to put them in a generation. Because like after that, I think the next best one is like Devin Booker, who does something very different than all of them. But like if you're thinking about the best players, they're all playing the same position in this era, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, and they all play on different teams. Yeah, and I mean, with Giannis as well, Giannis is just a, a – he he is the modern version of LeBron. He is – but in with less hype around him because LeBron came in with just – there's no way he can live up to the hype. And Giannis came in with basically none, and he continues to even outperform every single – like idea of what is the best possible version that he could be. There's every time that we think, Oh, this is his ceiling. He goes up another level and everyone continues to say, Oh, well, all he needs to do is figure out how to hit threes and then he'll be completely unstoppable. It's like, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need to shoot threes. He doesn't need to shoot threes and he's still unstoppable. He shot 55% this year while averaging 20, nearly 30 points per game. The guy doesn't need to be able to shoot threes in order to be an unstoppable force and that's and it's and he does it on both ends so Giannis is just in a I think Giannis is in a realm to himself and the only thing that is going to contain him moving forward is just what people think he can be it's like just accept him for whatever he brings because he's going to bring just greatness everything that's on the floor I think the thing that I learned this year about Giannis and I don't know if you noticed something similar is when he does that little like post move where he like steps back from like eight feet and kind of just shoots over people i feel like just having some sort of respectable post game kind of replaces the need for the three-point shot with Giannis because you just need something that people respect that will draw them out from under the basket if i don't know he shot 81 percent on 605 attempts at the rim this year so like that's a that's a pretty damn good number I think the concern, though, is like, and this is the thing during the finals run, was like you foul him and he's not a great free throw shooter. And obviously he's become a much better free throw shooter. He shot now. 72% on free throws this year, which that yeah. wasn't, that's not his best mark, but that is that was his best mark in the last three years. For sure. And I think that was the hack where it's like, okay, if the free throws aren't going to improve, developing some sort of respectable post move will draw people out from inside. And Work or not work, like Giannis is still going to be the best player in the sport. It's just this notion of being unguardable, which doesn't, I mean, it exists, but like, how much better can Giannis be than averaging 36 in the finals last year and 50 point double doubles or 50 point triple doubles to close out the finals? Like, it's impossible to be better than that when he's playing at that level. But you're right. Yeah, Giannis is. Kind of yeah, there. he set a he set a bar for himself that no one else is going to touch. There's just there's not another guy that is going to be able to do the things that he does on both ends of the floor because there isn't another guy like him. He's as if you took Russell Westbrook six seven inches taller. Mm-hmm. He's got just I, this I, relentlessness going downhill. He's got crazy length. He has just athleticism that never stops. He has a he defensive end and he has the ability to turn into offense. 
there's just there's nothing you can do to stop a guy that is just the the only thing that he can't do is shoot. And even then, he will pull up for that shot, and then he'll he'll know he's going to miss it before you know, and then he can go crash the board for a rebound and get another inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, it's talking about him the same way people talked about LeBron back in the day. It, it's all the different things that he can do and have that skill set. And Jokic and Embiid look the same and play the same relative positions, but they all do different things. And that's what, I think that's what's so unique about all three of them is – you could typecast them as typical like big man players who are super size fives and they all do different things. And I mean, Giannis isn't technically a center, but I guess he's the closest thing to it because Brooke Lopez kind of sits in the corner and shoots threes too now. But it's just so interesting how all of those guys at the same time coexist and do these different things. And they're the best players in the sport. And eventually the, the physical limitations of their body are going to catch up. But it's not going to be for like years from now. And well, I mean, that's just how the NBA is at all times. I mean, when Mm -hmm. LeBron was in his physical prime, it was LeBron, Wade, Mello, Bosch. Who else? uh, Durant was at the early part of his peak. There Mm -hmm. was there was Harden was not was not even close to what he eventually became at his peak. You had the tail end of the good years of Kobe. You still had Duncan continuing to be just a a point click player on yeah. both ends. He didn't it didn't matter Paul what was still there. Dirk ne- nearing the end of his prime. So just there's constantly yeah. a rotation. And then as you mentioned, as after the the LeBron prime years where he won the MVP, it flipped. And then you had Curry and Durant and Harden and Westbrook. And they were there for a few years, and then now you move on to the next group where it's Giannis and Jokic and Embiid and Curry's still kicking around. You have Tatum starting. I guess to Anthony Davis is the next closest guy, right? It's Anthony Davis is the next closest thing to being the best player in that age group. And yet just... Anthony Davis hasn't ever been the best player in his age group, at least not for an entire season. Nope, but he's probably the fourth guy on the list once you get to Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Next person's probably Anthony Davis. Like after that, the next one I can think of is like Devin Booker. But it's also interesting too, because you were talking about all those names after the fact, like I'm marveling that in this like quote unquote new generation, like after, if we think of like Kevin Durant leaving the Warriors as like the end of that era, it's been LeBron wins a title, it's Giannis and it's Steph. So like two out of the three most recent champions are still the guys who were winning it five years ago or six years ago. I thought that was interesting of like those players are still so excellent. And because there's no like rival super team and there's this weird level of parody for the first time in a while that when you put, when you stack everyone against each other, it's LeBron wins a championship and it's Steph wins a championship again, just like it was back in 2015, 2016, 2017. I mean, you have like, so you said the Davis is the, top guy in that tier. Davis is also two years older than anybody else in that tier. He's 29. He'll turn 30 next March. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously drafted before them. So that's why, but like he wasn't even the rookie of the year during his rookie season. So you can't even make the argument. He was the, Oh, he was the, he was the best player during his rookie season. Cause he clearly wasn't because Damian Lillard won the court. Yeah. 
I guess I'm thinking who is the next best player. Like, it's just guessing that the physical primes of basketball players are like between 26 and 29. Like, there's no real science behind it, but it's just kind of like historically that's been the case. So if you subtract it out, who was the best player drafted between 2012 and like 2016? Between like those five drafts, who would have been the next I mean, best player after the Giannis next best player Jokic. after that top? After that top, Giannis Jokic and Bead. Giannis Jokic, top three. I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily like. So you have Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal, Damian uh, Lillard, Draymond uh, is in there. Yep. I'm not necessarily saying Damian Draymond, Lillard just, is also kind of old. Yeah. Yeah. I get what I'm just trying to name That's other just... guys that are falling in there. Rudy Gobert was in that. Victor Oladipo, if he never gets hurt, falls into that category. Zach Levine yeah. is drafted in there. I mean, right now I'm probably leaning towards Anthony Davis, even though, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns uh, was drafted in 2015. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, Booker. Devin Booker. Uh, I don't know. 2016, I, probably... I think the best one was like Ben Simmons, I think, I'm guessing. It it's be Ben Simmons, but... Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, DeMontis Sabonis, Pascal Siakam, DeJounte Murray. That's your that's your, your and then Brock. That's your that's your group. I don't mm-hmm. know if I, I'm probably putting Anthony Davis there, even though in the last two seasons we haven't really seen much from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only averaged uh, that's the thing. games. Or points per game in 2020, and then he averaged 23.2 this past year, and he he just hasn't really brought much to the table. Granted, it's because his team, like he gets hurt, and so the team flounder, flounders a little bit without him. I'm sure that when he would be on, if he was on the floor for a full year, we would be like, oh yeah, this is the guy. But we're just not seeing that. Yeah, and and it's interesting because the generation before you can name so many people. It's like. Well, the four MVPs with Westbrook, Harden, Curry, Durant. Then you have Dame Lillard, who's 2012, but he's kind of old when he was drafted too. And then you have like Marcus All, who's kind of a tweener. And you have DeRozan and Paul George. And Kawhi's this weird mercenary who doesn't really fit in a generation, but he's won two championships <laughs> during this same period. So it, it's interesting because you have all those guys. And then in this generation, you kind of stop at like three people and you're like, ah, who, do, who else do we have after that? And I think that's probably how, like, in the absence of a super team, you have LeBron win the title in 2020 and Steph win the title in 2022. And next year's favorite is probably Steph and, uh, I guess, Giannis. But, like, outside of Giannis, it's, that's kind of where the, the – actually, Kawhi's probably right up there with the finals favorites next year. It's all the same guys now in their 30s. But then when we think of the babies, the ones who are coming up, it's like – well, you have Luca, you have John Morant, you have Zion, you have Trey Young, you have Lamelo, you have Ant Man, you have uh, all these dudes who we think could be the next guy, but we're just not sure yet. I guess. As things stand now, the Warriors, Celtics, Bucks, Clippers, Nets are your top five in that order. Uh, See, I would have put the Nuggets books. in there. I feel like the Nuggets uh, would be the favorite. Nope, the Nuggets are way yeah. down. Nuggets are one, two, three, five. Oh wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleventh, uh, tied for eleventh right now, or tied for tenth with the Grizzlies uh, for cons- and consensus. There, there are some books where they might be odds, but that is their um, consensus among all books. 
That's interesting because I, I guess I just assume that, and I don't know how you feel about it as someone who covers the Nuggets. Like if you get Murray back fully healthy, you get Porter Jr. back fully healthy, and they just make like one move, then they're going to be good enough to at least compete for a championship in the West. Because I'd even say one move is like Gallinari. If they like get Gallinari from the Hawks and he's now like your fifth best player, I feel like that's they, good enough to win the, the Western Conference. It's not. Uh, because Gallinari no. doesn't bring what they need, which is they need they need defense. They need defensive-minded guys over anything else, and that is not what Gallinari is going to bring to this team, which is why he would not be the people. They have enough offense. They can figure out the offense. They have enough with everybody healthy. But on defense, they don't have enough. They need more. So that's why I would you would add then if you have like Will Barton and a first round pick to trade with, which is the piece that you're trying to get. I don't know. I mean, but I mind Matisse Tybal, even though I know you're not going to get him. You're you're not. Mm-hmm. I know Philly's not to give him up, and I also know that the Cronkies aren't going to pay keep him. So you're kind of out of because if you put uh, him on the floor as your primary on ball defender. And then that allows Aaron Gordon to kind of be the floater off def- off ball defender guy, and then you have shooters of Porter, Murray, and Jokic. That that's a terrifying fivesome that I don't know what anybody's going to do. And Thibault might actually score because he could be able. He'd have room to cut. He wouldn't just cut Joel Embiid or, or any other number of sh- uh, non shooters that have been next to him over the past few years. So I mean that's the that that'd be the dream candidate though just because Thibault is so damn good at uh, at defense uh, both on the ball and off the ball that that's your ideal pl- pl- guy. It just I also know it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, I guess I'm I'm there are flaws in the Nuggets that maybe I'm not accounting for because I looked at it. I'm like you get a full year of rest with them and the Clippers feel like those teams and and Golden State would be the teams duking it out in the West next year. But maybe the Nuggets do have larger holes. I guess I'm just valuing Jokic at such a high bar as like yeah, well so here's the thing. Jokic I think that the sports books are undervaluing Jokic and I but I also think that the I also think that they are aware that defense is an issue for like Denver needs to address the defensive end of the floor because if they don't they won't win a title next year. There's no Unless everybody in front of them say that they are winning a title next year without addressing a defense in more, at least one, it, but they need really needs to be more than one way. Okay, I get the I get the basis of that. It helps me inform myself on this Nuggets point because I was going out on a limb and being like Nuggets are the favorites in the West, and I backed off that. But I'm like, they're still going to be better because you get basically. Not two all stars, but two like fringe all star caliber players back, and that kind of that kind of helps, or at least it'll help them a little bit. We'll see what happens there. I guess yeah, bring can... back Murray and Porter would definitely go. Al- that would help them out dramatically. I think that they would go from being a the sixth seed to probably a top three seed next year. But defense still needs to be addressed to really. It would get them back to where they better. were in the bubble. Kind yes. Of, right. Get them to yep. where they were in the bubble. How do you take the next step from there, other than just the Lakers disappearing? That is that. There's no. There's no other way to like the 
that would get them back to where they were competing, but the it's the defense that'll put them over the top. So yeah, they'll be competitive with those two, but like they 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 need to address the Barton spot. Um, I think that Barton could fit on this team. I don't think that Barton fits the starters though, because I think that he would be very very good off the bench as a second unit scorer slash uh, creator. Um, when he was initiating the offense as somewhat of a point guard, he was able to get other guys involved and able to generate more shots for other people because there was more spacing involved when, but then you have to have him in the starting lineup because he's a, don't have anybody better to take a spot. Then you end up having your team hurting overall. And, and I think that just the health of the team overall will really change the image that everybody has of Denver by December of next season. That's interesting to think about. Cause I just, I, I believe in Denver and I believe in Jokic, but I guess I don't believe in Denver. I feel like they failed Jokic. I guess I just look at it and I'm like, if you give Jokic just a base level of competence, he'll be good enough to maybe win the Western Conference. But I think that's just looking at it and like, he's the second best player in the NBA and that should be good enough because the Western, he's, there's no player, I mean, maybe Steph Curry, but I think like there's no player in the Western Conference who's better than Jokic like right now. And maybe yeah, no, there Jokic, teams that are better than Jokic. Jokic is the best player in the Western Conference right now. That is a full stop correct answer. Correct. Yes. That, that's kind of where I'm leaning to there, but I guess I think Warriors and Clippers have better teams. That also reminds me, I wanted to talk to you about this too. What are you thinking of free agency this year in the NBA? Because it's not it's not like a big name guy is going to move, but it is going to be like the most movement there's been since like 2019. We could see big names on the move. I mean, there's... Obviously, there's the the Kyrie news with maybe he's going to be on the move because he and the uh, Nets are at an impasse. You have guys like – so James Harden has a player option. I'm sure that he's going to decline that because the whole Philly's going to give him a deal. There's Bradley Beal. I know Bradley Beal wants a huge extension. Obviously, Kyrie's a uh, player option wants a huge extension. Uh, Zach Levine – I don't think he has officially come back yet, right? He's just expected to. No, he's. I don't know. Actually, I thought I heard that he was like exploring all his different options, and that well, that was the initial report. Leaving. But I could have. But I thought that I had seen a report that said he was coming back. I, I don't actually know. I haven't heard yeah, anything I've, about. This. I had seen a couple of them uh, that said that he was expected to come back. Uh, some people. Mm-hmm. Have said that he wants to be a Laker. I don't know about that, but anyway, uh, DeAndre Ayton could be on the move this offseason. Yes, that one after that, and there's not really a ton of big name guys that could be on the move in terms of who guys that are free agents. But I'm sure that there are like guys that are on the last year of their deal that could be because they realize yeah. that they're offseason. Like they have to move. They're like, this isn't the spot for me. I need to find somewhere else to be. And so we could see some big name guys that we think, oh, there's no way they move because the NBA always finds a way to move contracts. Mm-hmm. And there's the Utah fire sale that's available as well for anyone to pick from. But I, I guess I was just thinking of bigger, like the, the top 10 guys, any of the top 10 guys moving around. I don't think it's going to happen, but on the periphery, everything else will change that someone's going to get a second star. Someone's going to lose a second star. Someone's going to add a, third star but i, I think the like, only guy in the top 10 that could realistically be or there's three guys in, or two guys in the top 10 that could realistically be on the move this offseason lebron and katie 
Yeah, Jokic pretty he's much lost, said he wants to stay. Yeah, Jokic ain't leaving. KD and, and Giannis definitely isn't leaving. KD, if he's unhappy with the Kyrie situation, that Kyrie leaves and then KD also wants to leave, even though last year they had no reason to move him, they could move him. At the same time, LeBron could leave just because he's he wants to leave. Those are the only two guys in the top, top 10 that I can see actually leaving their teams this offseason. Yeah, that, that's probably so. And even it'll make it more interesting than past offseasons, even if you ch- even if like five guys between 10 and 25 move. If five all-stars move, it still makes it interesting because you have no more. I mean, the Levine one, God, I wanted Levine to go somewhere so bad. But it, if he goes back to Chicago, like whatever. I do see the report that Levine's, expected to re-sign on a five-year max it's not like official or anything but it's recorded by um the fan-sided bulls page was getting that from i can't see where this is from uh casey johnson and brian winhorst so yeah i guess it's it seems pretty close to this point but um it does look like zach levine's probably going to go back um Obviously, Kyrie thing's interesting because Kyrie, it would have to be a sign-in trade with any of the places that he realistically wants to go, but it would be spicy if he switched teams. We talked about that kind of the other day. And I don't know. I guess, like, if five All-Stars switch, that's still pretty spicy, especially if they're names that we recognize and, like, have been paying attention to, like Bradley Beal. Like, those are those are moves that at least make it interesting. Even though I more or less expect Bradley Beal to not move until at least next year where I think he's going to sign a huge extension with Washington, like get the super, super duper max and then sign extension is, and then, then he can request a trade in the future, but I don't see him moving this off season. Yeah. And if he doesn't get moved, then he's like, okay, that's fine. I'll, (laughs) I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll walk away and play the rest of my career at beloved in Washington or whatever else he, he decides to go for. Yeah, so I guess it. I mean, the eight and one. What do you make of the eight and situation? Because obviously, we talked about it last year during the finals and how that changed the course of their offense. And now it looks like he's on the way out. Um, I think that Aiton just is on a team with an owner who doesn't really want him to be there. And I also think that Aiton, they view Aiton as semi-replaceable, which is kind of fair. I mean, Aiton is inconsistent from night to night, and his play does seem to yo-yo a lot for a guy that is, was the first, a former first overall pick. You can kind of replace what he does. You may not get 100% of what he does, but you can get kind of close. And then you move on from him. You bring in another center that can just play offense, just dunk ball, set screens, be a decent defender. And you already have Bridges, Paul, and Booker. And then when Paul retires, you can replace – you can replace him with someone cheaper. So I move Aiton. I probably would have paid Aiton over paying Chris Paul, but it wasn't my money. And Robert Sarver spends it how he wants. So they kind of painted themselves into a corner. If he doesn't want to pay the bill, he doesn't want to pay the bill and they're going to have to move on from him. I have a perfect trade that I've concocted for a while. I've thrown it by most people here, but I think it would be, interesting if everyone just resolved their problems this way would just be a straight up Rudy Gobert for DeAndre Ayton swap just maybe someone has to throw in a first rounder somewhere but pretty much just swap centers between the two teams 
and see how it works out. It doesn't fix the problem of Sarver still has to pay the luxury tax, but it would just be interesting from a personnel standpoint for Phoenix to put that together. I don't fix that. I don't think that fixes the problems though. I mean, if anything, that makes Phoenix worse on offense for sure. Uh, it makes them better on defense, but worse on offense. Um, their offense is fine. So dramatically changes it because Rudy just doesn't do anything similar to Aiden. Aiden has somewhat of a scoring ability and Rudy just doesn't really have that unless it's a very specific matchup once every two months. And then Aiton goes and you already have defensive issues in the playoffs with your center. Now you have, you're going to have him even more because even if Aiton's a decent defender, he's not Rudy level. I guess I, the solution there would be like they, they do get the defensive and maybe they run their offense differently in Phoenix, but also for Utah, if you're going to do a teardown, you get five years of control for a former number one pick is a nice little thing to have work out for them. And Utah, I, Utah, they're kind of done as they're presently constructed, I guess, is the conclusion I've drawn. Maybe Utah doesn't view it that way. Just feels like they're kind of like get the best you can while you have a chance at this point. I don't know. It's, it's interesting how that one plays out. But I feel like both, I mean, both parties probably want to keep the person they already have. Just for whatever reasons, they have fallen out of love wherever they are. And I saw Phoenix was also talking about like trading the trading a, a bona fide player to the Pelicans for the eight pick. And I thought that was interesting. There's all sorts of weird ideas that it seems like Phoenix is trying to do to stay relevant. Well, it's also Phoenix is trying to do weird things to stay cheap. But the problem is yeah, that was all way too much money and now you don't have a choice and you're not going to be able to be cheap. Yeah, that's another good point there. <laughs> Chris Paul's contract is unmovable, but they also had no choice. No, no contract is unmovable. Time. Remember, no contract is unmovable. Everybody <laughs> said Chris Paul's yeah. contract was unmovable three years ago or four years ago, whatever it was, and they moved it. Yes, it's unmovable except for another contract that doesn't solve your problem. They can they can trade it. It's just for John Wall, and John Wall doesn't solve your problem of trying to lower your salary cap number. <laughs> Well, that's fair, but I just wanted it to be known. I was like, it's, yeah. I was like, no contract is unmovable. You can always move one. You are correct. As long as people are signing $50 million contracts, you can move them around a little bit. Or I know, Chris Paul probably still has some value. Some mercenary team would want Chris Paul. But at Phoenix, there's no way you trade Chris Paul. You, the value you get back for Chris Paul is going to be diminished returns. And so you just you ride it out the best you can with that duo. Yeah, that's fair. Like you can't, they're not going to be able to get anything for him that replaces the value. So you ju they just have to deal with it. And it's unfortunate <laughs> Which is what we're calling the, their, their windows say, that's closed. That's the Westbrook problem. Their windows closed and it's over for him. Really? Okay. Because I kind of agree with you, but I, I just, it's weird to be as transparent of like, yeah, they've got no chance of winning a championship anymore. Their window with like the Chris Paul, I, I don't think they're winning another title with Chris Paul. I think that if you build another team around Bridges and Booker, they can win a title. But Chris Paul being one of your top guys, I just don't see you winning a title anymore. Not on this team, not in this conference that is currently constructed. I think you're probably right. They've got the Westbrook conundrum of and I guess Anthony Davis. Except, like, except it, Chris Paul brings value to the floor when he's out there. But I just think mm -hmm. that he's not going to be able to hold up for an entire year. Versus Westbrook doesn't bring any damn value. He's bad. He just doesn't bring value anymore. That's <laughs> The only thing he brings yeah. is butts and seats. That's it. 
where it's a conundrum is like you can sell low, but anything you get in return will be diminished goods. They could trade Westbrook, but anything they get in return will be worth not Westbrook and possibly having to give up draft picks. And so they're kind of just stuck with him for the time being. It's kind of the same thing with Chris Paul. It's like if they could flip Chris Paul for, I don't know, uh, insert age. If they could flip Chris Paul for Kyrie Irving, they'd probably do it tomorrow, but they, they can't do that. So they're just kind of stuck with the bed that they've made around Chris Paul. Yeah. And I mean, that's what we kind of, that's what we all figured out last summer when they resigned him, when they brought him back on the deal that they did, all of us were like, all right, well, this is the rest of your window. And then as the year went on and Chris Paul broke down, we were like, all right. And there is your window closing. And then they threw up all over themselves in game seven. And you looked at that and you were like, okay, window closed. Yep, that was the window being locked shut. Locked shut when Chris, when literally the, the three best players, Aiton, Paul, and, and Devin Booker, made one field goal in the first half of Game 7, and it was an Aiton dunk with three minutes left in the second quarter. Yeah, it was definitely not a good look for the team that everyone said, oh, well, they're a lock to make the finals. I, I thought they were at least a lock to make the conference finals. <laughs> It was that was pretty embarrassing way to fall out. I am glad that the Mavericks got to make that run just because it gets the storyline of Luca going because they should have made the conference finals last year if, say, they beat the Clippers in that game seven. But it's just it had to be at the expense of Phoenix, which was brutal because Phoenix was number one seed, best record in this league and went to the finals last year and everyone fell for it. Everyone's well, that's okay because that means that we got to get rid of Robert Sarver a little earlier. This is true. At least, at least we don't have to actually pretend Phoenix is meaningful because they they were basically Sacramento or, or Minnesota before this whole thing began, and all of a sudden, miraculously, turned this thing around in two years. And then the window the window closed. But I mean, we did the math last time, and Devin Booker is probably like the fifth best player of the generation drafted between 2012 and 2016. So you, you will probably lose to the people who are better than you as the best player on the Phoenix Suns. Got to seize your moment when it's there. They didn't. And now they can forever deal with the consequences. They still get the one finals run to remember it by. They still get the, we were up 2-0 on the Bucks in the finals to remember it by. I was going to say, I was like, yay, you guys got... Something that doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I mean, for Phoenix, it'll probably mean something. But I, I mean, mean before, that, but it ultimately doesn't mean anything. Is does is the thing? Like it do, it doesn't really matter for anything. It yeah. it doesn't accomplish anything. It's not going to gain you free agent. It, like you're not going to have any free agent attraction to you that you didn't already have. You have what you have, and all you are is you're the team that lost in the finals, and then now you're the team that is on the decline Mm -hmm. and went all in on Chris Paul. And now you can't move him. And Devin Booker as great as a great a player as Devin Booker is. I was saying going into this playoffs, he's better than Jason Tatum. In hindsight, I was probably a little bit off on that one. Not too far off, but just a little bit off on Devin Booker. I believed too highly in Devin Booker. I still think Devin Booker is good. I mean, Oh, and I yeah. think Devin Booker's good, but I think that Devin Booker also was enhanced by Chris Paul being good at defense because then I think it made Devin Booker care about being good on defense. And so whoever you pair him with next has to be a 
defensive minded guy. So I don't think Kyrie Irving there would make a lot of sense. Yeah, probably true. I guess I'm just doing the raw skills of Kyrie Irving better player than Chris Paul. Therefore, they upgrade from Kyrie Irving to Chris Paul. Not that that's like even a situation for Phoenix, but I was just thinking of who is a point guard better than Chris Paul or just any player better than Chris Paul who they can get this offseason. There's not a lot of them because while there are five all-stars available, no one's no one's trading Zach Levine for Chris Paul. It's not like a, a possibility on the table. It's they're kind of just stuck in <laughs> like what the what the Lakers are doing. Do you want Brogdon and Buddy Heald? You can trade Chris Paul for Brogdon. Maybe that well if you had just done the speaking of the Lakers, if you had just traded for Buddy Heald last year and not traded for mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook, you wouldn't have had this problem. You would have had a much better team. You were so right. You were so right about the Westbrook thing. You were like, no, he's just bad, and they messed up by not getting Buddy Heald last. I'm like, oh, yeah. When they're offered Westbrook, um, was it Westbrook, THT, and a first-rounder for Brogdon, and they're getting turned down, and it's like, oh, no. They are stuck with Westbrook. They are stuck with him. Well, it's because everybody knows that they're trying to get rid of him. Like It's, it's like when you go to a car dealership, and they – they, there's a hundred people. There, there's a hundred people like there that all need to sell a car there, but there's only one car. You know that they need to sell that car, and you can just sit there. You can get what you can pay whatever price you want because you are the only way that they're going to get rid of that car. So until the Lakers can find somebody that wants Russell Westbrook, they can't charge too much. They know that they have to try and do whatever they can to make the deal work. And right now, the, there's no okay. deal that's going to work for it. Yeah, they're just in the classic situation of like the only person who's going to take it is a team that's valuing cap space as a way to get assets. And the Lakers can't even do that because they don't have assets to trade. Yeah, and that's not even even really a thing anymore. Like the whole, well, we'll just take on your bad contract and like use use cap space to take on assets. That's not even a thing that most teams are doing. Like basically the only team doing that anymore is OKC. I think it was just a uniquely like, 2018 thing just because of that magical summer of 2016 where everyone was giving out crappy contracts because they had so much cap space available because of the the tv deal increase so i think that was just a unique thing to that and the only people who are taking on bad contracts now are the same people who signed contracts either then or like in the years immediately after like john wall westbrook um no one's had cap space to spend that type of money in a while just it hasn't there, there's no player that's making that kind of money anymore there, there's no player that's like hey we are 30 million dollars to timothy mozgov or whatever it is like that type of player just doesn't really exist in the nba apart from like a handful of examples right now agreed yeah now there's the sour 16s definitely did a number on uh guys for years and years to come yeah, I saw Orlando was like, we will take all of your bad contracts for draft picks, but not Westbrook. <laughs> we will take any bad contract except Russell Westbrook if you give us draft picks. But no one really has to do that right now. So Orlando's just like, will we get two seconds for Terrence Ross? How about it? Can we do anything this offseason? No? Okay, very good. Maybe it'll work out for them. Uh, do you have any NBA draft-related stuff that you're interested in? 
Um, not a ton. I haven't really done a lot of NBA draft stuff this year. I've done uh, a little bit for podcast stuff that I've done for Believe in Nuggets, but I've mostly had Asher leading the stuff uh, in that direction because he's very passionate about the draft. He's been right, covering a lot of uh, draft content for these stiffs. Uh, I did uh, hear uh, the latest rumors that Paolo is a near lock to go one right now, and Jabari is pretty much a lock to go two, if that is the case. And there is a world where apparently Chet falls to five. Because apparently Sacramento, Ooh, Sacramento. don't do that. Don't do well, that. No, 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 no. So it's so it's so it's uh Orlando takes Paolo one, uh OKC Snap takes Jabari two, and then three uh three Houston Reds. Yeah, they, yeah. They trade out because they don't like they don't like Chet. And then whoever trades up to three and then the Kings owner really apparently is uh, people really think he's enamored with uh, Keegan Murray or the mm-hmm. uh, the Iowa guy. And then that's how yeah. Chet ends up at five. Oh, Sacramento. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, you. but that is a, uh, <laughs> that is a discussion that is being, that is out there. No, I did hear that today that like Houston's like, we want Paolo really bad at three. And I think that might be why the odds are swinging for like Orlando taking Paolo because they might be leveraging, hey, Houston, if you want him, you got to go up to number one and you got to throw in some draft picks to make it happen. Because I had thought Jabari Smith was there in Orlando the whole time. I know it's smokescreen season, so I like... I try to avoid that's the, the the rumors, but Vegas odds I usually look at and they're like they have sourcing, it's reliable. If odds are immediately pivoting in Vegas, then someone knows something. But I guess I just thought that I made the connection between Rockets want Paolo at three, and now all of a sudden it goes from Jabari Smith at one to Paolo at one, and now Orlando is trying to leverage that knowledge to get the top pick. But I don't know. I, I guess. Well, it's also the fact that it's also the fact that Jabbar that Paolo is the safest player of the three. With Chet, you have to worry about is he going to be able to put on enough weight. And for those of you listening that think, "Oh, weight doesn't matter," yeah, it does. (laughs) Gestures in the direction of Thon Maker. (laughs) Thon Maker was a guy everybody thought was going to be a thing, and he wasn't ever a thing. He never could put on enough size. He was just never quite big enough to be what everybody thought he could be. Chet is a more talented player in terms of basketball skill and IQ than Thon was, but he still is tiny and he will get bullied by just bigger dudes. That is a legitimate issue. Paolo is a polished player who has already shown the ability to embrace the light, the big moment. He has shown the ability to score on his own. He's shown the ability to set up other guys he may not have as high of a ceiling as Chet does or as high of a ceiling as Jabari does, but he is going to be, be a safe player that in five years will be still a good, solid, strong player. And everyone's like, well, well, well you shouldn't with the first pick, you shouldn't be taking a guy that, that you, that you don't think is going to be the best player in the class. Guess what? I think he can easily be the best player in the class because I can already tell that he's good and I know he's going to be good. I can project that the other guys are going to be good. I can't guarantee that they're going to be good. I think that there's a near lock minus health issues that Paolo will be a solid player in the NBA for 10 plus years. 
And solid players, what Orlando's banking on, I guess they're just looking for something bigger than that. I don't know. Whatever Franz Wagner is going to be is interesting, too. But if you get a solid player with the number one pick, that's defensible. Even if one of those guys turns into a generational star, you can defend, hey, we got an all-star with the number one pick in the draft. You can you can absolutely defend that one. Of We got the first pick, we drafted DeAndre Ayton, but we didn't get Luka or a situation similar to that. Like You can defend that one even if it's not the perfect situation, which is interesting because like you have the, the thing with Chet that I think is interesting. And again, I'm not a draft guy at all, but like from watching basketball by three years, we'll kind of know what the body size looks like. Like by the time he would normally be graduating college and he's like 21 years old, we'll know what the body type is like. We'll know what the player is like. So I, I guess that's the projectability of like, do you want to take on that project? Do you believe in your basketball staff enough to build that body structure out it's why portland would be interesting if he falls to wherever i think portland's at seven it'd be super interesting if he went there because portland's like well known for having the really good basketball development and strength staff but i I, it would just be interesting to see like fit will make a huge difference with a lot of these players and the problem is everyone at the top of the draft is crap maybe not okc maybe okc has the 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 formula of like they know how to develop players but like everywhere else around the draft is like it's a lot of places you don't want to go and a lot of players go to watch their careers die i mean there's indiana is at six indiana is a team that this is the first time since you know actually i'm going to give you a quiz when is the last time that the indiana pacers had their own pick in the top like it was single digits single digits um, my brain goes to Paul George, but I'm not certain if that's right. I'm going or not. to tell you this, and I'll give you one other guess. It is much older than that. Oh, it's much older than that. Okay, because I Paul knew Paul George, George was like was 13th. In... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, Paul George was a lottery pick, but I think he was at like the end of the lottery. Um, yeah, because Indiana made the playoffs for a lot of those years. Um, Oh, who are who are good players on Indiana in the past? Gosh. Specifically, Paul George's pick 10th. Pick 10th, okay. I mean, they're good when they get to the top of the draft. They're good at developing. Let's see. When they, when they get the talented players, they're good. Actually, Chet to them would be interesting, too, because they don't have a true big – they have Miles Turner. Um, Who's talked about as being traded, like, every other day. So. <laughs> Yeah, the new Brooke Lopez of every year we wonder if this is the year he gets traded. Um, let's see. Is it in the 1990s? It is not in the 1990s. Okay, okay. Um, is it Ron Artest? It is not Ron Artest. To be, okay. it was 1989. Oh my God. George oh McLeod out of Florida State played 12 <laughs> years in the NBA. Uh, he played four seasons with Indiana. He played in Italy for one year, and then from '94, uh, he was 90, he, he was in uh, Dallas for two years, and then he was with Dallas for half a season. Then traded to the Lakers, and then Phoenix for two years, and then the Nuggets for three years before retiring. But yeah, that is the last time that the Pacers have had a pick that was their own that was in single digits. It's been yeah. since 1989. So that's why <laughs> when you're like, well, they can't, it's like, well, they, 
may not have developed enough to win a title, but they have developed enough that they have not had a top 10 pick or a top nine pick in 30 years or yeah, 20, they made yeah, the 30 years for 15 straight years. They the didn't have a losing a record at home until two, until not the season that just happened, but the season before. That was the first in the time entire in entire like, franchise's history. It was it was the first time in like forty years or something bananas like that. I would have to look it up Jesus specifically. Christ. Yeah, I mean it's just they didn't win a championship, but damn, they're like okay, if like San Antonio's the gold standard and like Miami is like the the bronze or the silver standard of like organizational stability, Indiana's probably like on that list of like strong organizational stability over the last forty years. Damn, that's fascinating. Indiana, yeah, yeah thirty-one Indiana. straight seasons. They had a winning <laughs> record at home. So basically, if you were playing the Pacers at home, they were beating you greater than fifty percent of the time for thirty-one years. Okay, so so basically, what I'm hearing is that Indiana is going to get the player that Sacramento passes on, and they're going to turn them into a star. That's basically I mean, they just what I'm traded them Tyrese Halliburton, so it's possible. <laughs> They're gonna. <laughs> that's gonna be so great because I I live in Sacramento and like I I work for people who are affiliated with the Kings and it's like oh okay this we just know this is, they're gonna mess it up they're gonna mess this pick up somehow but if it goes to Indiana Indiana is gonna get Halliburton and whoever this pick is and that's gonna be the team that should have been in Sacramento that that's perfect that is that is so perfect let it be Chet also. Let it be the guy who's seven foot one that everyone's like, how could you not tell that the seven foot one guy is going to be the next NBA star? It, it, it would be so perfect. Just so perfect. If Sacramento messes up at four and then Indiana gets the next all-star at six. I will say they, I, I live in Indiana. Pacers fans would love Chet Holmgren. They would love Jay Nivey a lot more because he went to Purdue but yeah. they love Chet Holmgren because he's a tall white dude. Yeah, that's probably true. That's another thing that's, about Indiana. It's the same Indiana reason why they left too. Tyler Hansborough. Mm-hmm. Why they were so aggressive about bringing in Brad Stevens as the Indiana basketball coach. Yeah, they, they love they love the white guys. But we think of like Utah as the place first and foremost that loves their tall white guys. And then, then we kind of – even Gordon Hayward. Wasn't Gordon Hayward thinking about joining the Pacers after he left Boston and then he ended up going well, yeah, to because Charlotte? Yeah, he, like, he, because, because he's from here. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, from and Indiana. He, like that's – like that, so that's – it's different. He's from Indianapolis. He went to – if I remember it, yeah, he went to Brownsburg. He went to he went to Butler. So, like, that's – it's a little – it's a little different right there just in terms of – Oh well, he only wanted to go. They only wanted him because he's white or whatever. It's like no, he's from here, and also Brad Stevens is from here. He went. He's from Zionsville. Yeah, yeah. And he it's went to not that Nepal they because they... Zionsville High School. So it's just all sorts of Indiana connections. It's not that they just want him because they're the white guys. They just like those guys a little bit more than they like the other players on the team. Just a little. They just like those types of players a little bit more. But you're probably right. They want the the hometown Jaden Ivy. Even though it doesn't seem like Ivy's going to fall further than Sacramento at four, Ivy had, didn't even interview with, or in, didn't even interview, or didn't work out with the Pacers. So evidently, he's got a promise that he's not getting past four or five. No, nah, 
Yeah, I, I think he there was reports. I just know this because, again, I'm around it. There were reports that he doesn't want to go to Sacramento, but, like, if he falls to Sacramento, there's no way they're passing on him. But who knows? I thought Jalen Suggs was going to be gone in the top three last year, and he fell to five and kind of was the right move. So who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be different this year. Maybe, maybe yeah, he doesn't I, have I a think... promise. I think Ivy has a promise because I don't think he would not interview or not work out with the Pacers unless he had. Because who was the guy with the Bulls in the last couple of years that he didn't work out with them and like he had a promise to get drafted by a team if he was still on the clock? So that's why he's like, I'm not going to waste my time at work. I'm not going to be there. Was it was it Chandler Hutchinson? Yeah, I think that's who it was. Cause that's the name that I remember, yeah. but yeah, he was, there was the Chandler Hutchinson. If he was, he had a promise that he's like, I'm not working out with you because I am not going to be on the clock when you're on the clock. That makes sense. I think that was the, well, no, I think it was a different thing with Ben Simmons, but it's like Ben Simmons didn't want to go to Philadelphia. So he didn't work out with them. And then Sam Hinkie, or I guess it wasn't Sam Hinkie at that point. It was the person who replaced Sam Hinkie. He was like, we are going to take you no matter what. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you work out or not, but similar situations like that probably exist. I assume Ivy kind of knows, though, that, like, if he gets that far, Indiana will probably take him unless – I don't know. I mean, who's picking five? Is it um, is it the Rockets or is it the Pistons? This year? Yeah. Is, I, I think the Rockets are – Pistons are five? Okay. Yeah, so I have the order here. It's – Magic one, Thunder two, Rockets three, Kings four, Pistons five, Pacers six, Blazers seven, Pelicans via Lakers eight, Spurs nine, Wizards ten, Knicks eleven, Thunder via Clippers twelve, Hornets thirteen, Cavs fourteen, Hornets via Pelicans fifteen, and that is your top fifteen. Okay. So I, I knew three and five were around there. I just couldn't remember who it was. And then Sacramento got lucky. And yeah, today <laughs> today gets to be how is Sacramento going to mess this one up day? So I'm excited to see it because this podcast is dropping on Thursday. So it's it's basically like draft day at this point. So it's congratulations. It's how is Sacramento going to mess this one up this year day? We're going to find out how they're going to draft the wrong player i don't know who it's going to be but it'll be the wrong player but you're right i've heard all kinds of keegan murray stuff with them at number four that they they really like him regardless of how the draft order falls or i guess they're assuming that paulo and jabari are going to be gone by pick four even if it's a different order yeah i mean the assumption is that it's jabari chet paulo in some combo in the top three like that is obviously the assumption everybody's had but yeah i've heard Keegan Murray has been a very popular option or rumor to them at four. Yep. I guess we'll see what happens. Well, glad to talk to you again, Gage. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a little while. We missed an entire NBA playoffs, but uh, what else? NFL news. Gronk retired again. Cool. Yeah. Nothing going on in the NFL, but we'll, we'll do football talk later on. A few, few months away from football talk. Good to talk to you again, Kyle. Yeah, great. Happy to get back on. Today was basketball heavy podcast, but glad to glad to record. We'll talk, yeah, we'll talk some football again here in a couple months. Whenever football actually matters again. Exactly.
which will be a couple months from now. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We'll see, see you later, later Gage.